We're we'll looking at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. This is the time of year that seed catalogs can start to come in the mail. If you've ever ordered one, it seems like you'll get six as they're all trying to vie for your business. And you can choose what you'd like to get for this year or get it somewhere else, at least get ideas. If you have grown anything, a garden or farm for a number of years, you know that it takes thought for what goes into growing certain things. Certain plants, certain flowers need different ingredients, nutrients along the way, moisture, and it's helpful to grow, no, grow in knowing what that entails. For the longest time, I couldn't figure out why all of our pumpkins and squash matured at the end of August. I mean, aren't they supposed to mature end of September, early October, when you go to the pumpkin patch and you pick them up, go through the corn mace? And then I realized there's a thing like maturity age date, and from the point that you plant them to the end, that's when they're going to mature, all things being equal. And we're planting them way too early for them to mature, end of September, early October. I needed to learn that about pumpkins and squash. Growing in Christ is a theme of Scripture that God wants us to grow in and learn more about. Even as we've just recently finished up the Gospel of Mark, which tells us about the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, it doesn't just end there. Christ's plan for this age is for the church. And even as we'll look today at the resurrected Christ who has ascended up into heaven, we see that he has a plan for the church, and he has given the church everything that it needs to be able to grow in Christ. God has given, really Christ has given the church everything that it needs to grow in Christ. This is God's plan. And we want to look at that today from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But how does that growth take place? We look at it, that growth, by following God's word. We need to follow the process, the truths, the principles that he has laid out here as explained in this passage. And certainly there's many other passages as well that address growing in Christ as a church, but this is one of them. I want to look at that today. Look there in verse 7, first of all, how does this growth take place? But to each one, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so first of all, we see this growth taking place as Christ has given gifts to the church. Christ has given gifts to the church. Notice it's to each one. So to each believer, they're given these gifts. They're grace by, by his grace, really grace gifts. And so each of us as believers in Christ, as part of the church, has an opportunity, the privilege, been equipped to be able to spiritually minister to one another to be able to grow in Christ. And we'll pick up on this towards the end of this section, particularly in verse 16. But this is what he has given. He has, has given us the grace gifts that we need to be able to minister to one another. In verses 8, 9, and 10, he speaks about his descension and ascension. And he's quoting there from verse 8 from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And as he's using this quotation here, he's speaking like a, a general, one who has conquered his enemies. But instead of 
expecting other people to give him gifts, he's giving gifts. This is Jesus, the risen Lord, ascended up into heaven. He is the one, verse 9 says, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And there's been a lot written about that there. It could be, as he, 1 Peter 3.19 speaks about him going and preaching to the spirits in Hades. Uh, it could be just be him coming to earth in humility. But the one who has descended is the one, verse 10, who has also ascended far above the heavens to the place of greatest honor and, and praise of magnificence, the highest supremacy. And what does he do? In that place of honor and glory, he gives gifts to his church. He's concerned about his church. He has given it everything that it needs to be able to grow in Christ. This is important to note because the church carries out its ministries not because of the natural giftedness or dynamic personalities of anyone, but because of God's gracious provisions. Because what Christ has provided. And this goes on even as he's mentioned in verse 7 that every believer has the, this grace gift, gifts to be able to serve. He gives some specific gifts there in verse 11. Uh, that he himself, it's emphatic, Christ gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. These are not beyond just the roles. He's not just giving, saying he gave this role to the church, but rather people to the church to carry out this role. And apostles are those who were sent. Uh, we think particularly of the 11 apostles who uh, traveled with Jesus. Paul added among them, they replaced one. So these official apostles, other sent ones in the early church. And then prophets, these are distinct. These are New Testament prophets, distinct from the Old Testament prophets who a lot uh, declared the word of the Lord but revealed the future. Here, the New Testament prophets, they spoke the message of the Lord. As the church was new and young, they didn't have the New Testament to look to. How should they live? How should they function? And God gave prophets messages from the Lord for what the church should be about, what they should do. And these prophets were gifts to his church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 speaks of these, uh, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So this is referring to the church, God's plan. It's built upon, first of all, Jesus Christ, but then also the ministry of the apostles and prophets. But if we think about this, their role was for the foundation of the church. Anyone who builds a house plans to build that foundation once. Uh, they don't want to build it again. And so too with the foundation of the church, it was once built. And so their ministry was for the early first century. That is not for today. We should not be looking for apostles and prophets to minister today, to receive special revelation from God. But the other three are still for today, evangelists. These are those who proclaim the good news of the gospel, whether in one place or from traveling to place to place. Philip is an example of one in Acts chapter 21, verse 8. And then pastors, those who are shepherding, those who are teaching the word of God, preaching, caring for believers spiritually. 
and then teachers, those who are teaching the word of God. If you note, even in the construction of the verse, it says some, 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 and then some pastors and teachers. So it doesn't say some pastors and some teachers. So that would lead some to say that this is a pastor slash teacher, that uh, the pastor, certainly his, part of his role is to teach. Uh, from First Timothy chapter 3, others would say, no, this is still a distinct role, and I think the grammar can allow for either there. But whatever the case, this is Christ's plan in the place of honor and glory to give gifts to his church so they can grow. A healthy church has these gifts, uh, particularly pastor and people, growing together in the Lord. This verse shows us that Christ's gifts, how he cares for his church as he is up in heaven in the place of honor and glory is he provides for them what they need to be able to grow. It sounds awkward and self-serving for me to say this, but this is rooted in the text that I am Christ's gift to Calvary Baptist Church. And it's not that I am special. It's not that I am any one particular. People have, other men have served as Christ's gift to the church in the past. And as Christ continues to return, to wait to return, other men will serve it in the future. But this is just to emphasize that this is important uh, role in privilege, and it's not to, to inflate myself, but rather, as we'll see in just a moment, is to see part of that role. What is that ministry that is taking, that he has to take place? And so as the pastor is to care for people, this is Christ's gift to you, and pause and ask yourself, I want to ask you, are you placing yourself under the ministry of your pastor? Are you under the ministry of the word as I'm teaching and preaching? Are you coming to your pastor as, as a shepherd in times of need, in times of trial, in times of important decision-making, seeking spiritual guidance? So Christ has given gifts to the church. And lest I think too much of myself, verse 12 goes on to quickly explain This is the role of the ministry that the spiritual leaders, whether it's pastors, evangelists, teachers, what are they to do? They are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. First of all, I want to mention that word saint. This is not super spiritual believers. This is any believer in Jesus Christ. As we look at that in the word of God, we're all sinners in need of a savior, separated from God, we don't have a personal relationship with God. When we acknowledge our sin and turn to Christ in faith, he comes into our lives and gives us eternal life, his righteousness. He declares us holy in his sight. Not that we're perfect, but rather we're seen as being holy, set apart, saints in his sight. And so believers in Christ are saints. This is a biblical word. This is one he uses often for the church. So saints, to equipping the believers... For the work of the ministry. Yes, there's a certain amount of ministry that a pastor should do, but as part of his ministry, verse 12 tells us, it is to equip other believers to carry out the work of the ministry. 
It shows us that the saints should not just come to church once a week, listen, and then go home. They are to participate in the work of the ministry in some way. And part of the pastor's work is to equip them for this. Ministry is another word for service. And so equip them to serve the Lord. And we serve the Lord by serving him and ultimately serving others as well. Notice it says the work of the ministry, indicating that it takes effort and energy, time, resources to be able to carry this out. My personality is such that I like to get things done, and if I see a need, my tendency is to just take care of that myself. But in doing so, I've not always done a good job at equipping others to fulfill the work of the ministry. Sure, there's things that I need to take care of, responsibilities, but along the way, as I'm carrying those out, I need to keep equipping the saints to fulfill the work of the ministry need to seek helping you be equipped so that at the end of this year, you are better equipped to be able to serve the Lord and others in your life. So I need to keep this goal before me. And you also need to see that as part of your responsibility before the Lord is to serve him in some way, that you have a role to carry out the work of the ministry. He's going to pick up this particularly there in verse 16, but that each of us has a part in this. Third, the goal of the church is to minister, to grow spiritually mature uh, so that we are spiritually mature, spiritually mature believers. The goal of church is never just to be busy, to have a lot of activities, to do, go through the motions The goal of ministry is spiritually mature believers. That the end of verse 12 says, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. This is the figure that is used here. Christ is the head. The church is his body. So as believers, we should be built up. What what does this go towards? Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so the goal then is that we would grow to attain, to grasp more the unity of the faith. Look back in chapter 4, verse 1. In chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul wrote, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Did you notice, particularly in verses 4 through 6, a word that is used again and again? One. One. And he's emphasizing what we have together in common in Christ. And so when he says, grow towards the unity of the faith, he's pointing back to remembering what you have together in Christ. Remember these truths that you hold together and to grow in those and grow in trusting God in each of those things. 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Do you know none of us know Jesus to the extent that we could and should? None of us knows enough about him. We should continue to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who he is in that personal relationship with him, and then to a perfect man. It has the idea of fully grown, mature. And so we should be grown in maturity, spiritual maturity, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we reflect Christ in his actions and attitude more in our lives. This is spiritual maturity. And so all these descriptions point together for believers to grow together to become more spiritually mature. This happens as individual believers grow, but it's not just a select few. This is for all to grow together so that as a church we grow together to become more like Jesus Christ. And what happens when we become more like Christ? We are not those who are swayed easily by every idea and false doctrine that comes. That's what verse 14 says, that we should be no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. It's like children who easily can go from one thing to the next. We should not be like that as spiritually mature believers and as a church, going from one idea to the next, one false teaching to the next, trying to learn and grasp more of, but it's not being rooted and grounded in Christ. Notice the way that these ideas are taught, trickery, cunning craftiness, deceitful plotting. Uh, the, the truth is often veiled, error is often veiled to look good and appeasing. And certainly I think some of the most dangerous things are things that have a little bit of truth but are encapsulated in the ideas of the world. What does spiritual maturity teach us? That's not going to help us to become more like Christ. We're not going to run from one thing to the next looking for something a little bit more. We're going to remain rooted and grounded in Christ, growing in him, spiritually mature, uh, becoming more like Christ. And as we work towards this goal in the process, we're becoming more like Jesus. One of the things that my wife does well is equip our children to be able to be in the kitchen. And so this past week, two of our children put together a lasagna for us. Are they fully equipped, ready to be able to cook everything on their own? No. Are they on the process of that? Yes. And so too with spiritual maturity. It's not just this destined goal that we reach at, oh, now we're spiritually mature. If we're on the process of it, we're growing to become more spiritually mature. And that's what God wants for us to do. And how does this take place? Verse 15 shows this. The means of reaching this goal is speaking the truth in love. That's what we need. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We grow up into Christ, who is the head of the church. How? By speaking the truth in love to one another. But we need both truth and love. And it is essential that we 
demonstrate both of those. Uh, even as you think about yourself, probably uh, you might have a more bent towards the right and wrong and truth or being kind and loving. Uh, I don't want to say anything that would upset someone. Probably each of us fall in one of, one of those two. That's our natural tendency that we demonstrate one or the other. I think it's helpful for us to think through that because it shows us where we might need to grow. Some of us might really like dropping truth bombs, like, boom, here's what you need to know. And it's like, wow, okay, Uh, maybe you do need to know that, but uh, you can alienate a lot of people along the way if it's not done in love. Some people can be very kind and compassionate, but they're not saying some hard truths that they need to say in the process. We need both of these together for us to grow to become more like Christ and to keep that before us. And we must not substitute our own thinking towards the methods and of, of, for God's ways. And so in this process of growing to become spiritually mature, will you listen to truth? And will you seek to communicate that truth in love to one another? We each have a role to be able to play in each other's lives of speaking the truth in love to one another. And as we do that, spiritual maturity will take place. Then every believer has a part in the spiritual growth of the church. So we're growing up to become more like Christ, verse 15, from whom, that's from Christ, the whole body... So it's using the picture of Christ the head, the church is his body, and using kind of that an illustration of the human body, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Look there, it says, every joint supplies... Every part does its share. It's describing, just as in the human body, we want everything to function well, so too in the body of Christ, each one has something to contribute. Every part has some share to be able to do, something that they, some way that they can minister. We tie this in with verse 7, where he said, Christ has given to each one of us grace according to the measure of Christ's gifts, means that we are spiritually equipped in Christ to be able to minister to one another. And we have something to contribute. It doesn't have to be big, splashy, it doesn't have to be up front, but we have some way that we can and should contribute to the health and growth of the body so that we would grow spiritually, the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love, that it would be built up in love. Some of you have gone to a doctor about a knee that hurt or a shoulder that hurt. Maybe you've known someone that's gone. Often they'll take an x-ray, an MRI, and imagine you go in and you're getting your scan read and the doctor explains, well, this, this tendon or this ligament here, it's doing this. It's not really functioning like it should, but, you know, it's really not a big deal. Take some more Tylenol and you'll probably get through it okay. I mean, that's not what we want to hear, right? Like if something's not working right, we want something it fixed it to, to improve. And uh, we want it taken care of. It's not a no big deal. 
Even something small hidden inside our body, if it's not functioning well, can cause a lot of pain for us. The analogy here, that even though the ways that we minister, no one may never even notice, may not be up front, may not be uh, seemingly very important. It's important to God. And that each of us has some ministry, some way to contribute to the health and growth of the church. I like to think of it in two different categories. There are official roles, official ways, like serving in a church office or deacon, a Sunday school teacher, partaking of the, helping out in the ministry of Kids for Truth, bringing a snack, helping clean the church, things like that. These are set things that we need people to serve in. And then there's a lot of unofficial ways, praying for one another, bringing someone a meal, helping out with a need, holding a Bible study, encouraging one another, greeting one another. So many other ways that we can contribute, but it comes with a mindset that I'm more to do more than just show up, listen, and go home. I am to minister to one another And that ministry that takes place on Sunday spills over into the rest of the week. That I care for one another. And thus with each believer doing its part. So I want to ask you, what are you doing to contribute to the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church? Are you serving, you helping in some way, shape, or fashion You may have some idea already saying, you know what, I can and should do this. That's great. Follow through by God's grace. There's a reason we sang, yet not I, but the grace of yet Christ in me. All of this is certainly by God's grace and strength. Maybe you need some some guidance saying, I want to do more. I think God wants me to do more, but I'm not sure. You can talk to a friend, pray about it, talk to me. Um, about you might have some ideas of ways to serve and minister with one another. But it starts with this heart of caring for others, growing spiritually. And because of Christ, you have something to contribute. Speaking the truth in love will grow to become more like Christ, spiritually mature, not swayed by every idea that comes along, but living for the honor and glory of God.